This is Women With Books, a collection of conversations about your favorite books, media, and all of the fabulous things in life. Curated by me, author Lindsay Emery. I'm so glad you're a part of today's chat. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to bring you this episode with my interview with Mia Vinci. Have you heard about her? If you read one debut historical romance this summer, this is the one you should read. It's called A Wicked Kind of Husband. And I tell you how I discovered this book and how I fell in love with it. And you know what's really awesome for me as a reader and as a podcaster? It's when you fall in love with someone's books and they're just as gracious and as smart and witty when you talk to them as they are in their books. And that was the case with Mia Vinci. Speaking of your summer reading list, I am bringing back the second annual Women With Books Summer Reading Challenge. That will be going out soon on my social media and in a special podcast. And there's a sneak peek in my newsletter going out before June 1st. So hurry up and sign up for that if you don't want to be left out and you want to go ahead and plan your TBR list for the summer. This was one of my most popular series from last year. I did two different episodes, um, one at the beginning of summer where I kind of laid out what the challenge rules were going to be, and one at the end of the summer where I talked about what I read. Um, but as always, I would love to hear what you are planning to read or what you're are excited to read and what you're going to read at the end. So let's talk about our summer reading books. We're going to use hashtag WWB reading challenge. I just made that up. Let's do it. <laughs> and um, yeah, let's post it and let's see what everyone's reading. And if you're in the Dallas area in October, I know it's not summer. We're going to skip ahead to fall now. <laughs> If you're in the Dallas area, or you plan to be in October 2019, um, or you just want to visit, hey, never been to Dallas before, this could be a good reason why. The tickets to the Richardson Adult Literacy Center Buns and Roses Tea go on sale May 30th. I will put all the information in the show notes and in my newsletter. I'm... So very honored to be hosting a table this year. Um, but I've attended as a reader for something like four or five years now because it's that good of an event. It is not only a fun reader event, um, you get to buy tickets at the table of an author that you love or maybe a new author, who knows? Um, there's a speaker, there's raffles, there's a silent auction, there's book signing, and there's tea and delicious food. So it's just a fabulous event. And I'm, like I said, I'm very honored to be hosting a table this year so y'all can buy tickets to sit with me. And um, the funds raised support a very, very good cause. And like I said, I'll put all the link to that in the show notes if you're interested in finding out more or attending with me and all the other wonderful authors that will be there. So enjoy your summer. Uh, that's starting and enjoy my interview with 
the delightful Mia Vinci. Welcome to Women With Books. I have a amazing guest from the other side of the world who's actually coming from the future, Mia Vinci. Welcome, Mia. Hi, Lindsay. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's all very exciting. It is very exciting. I'm, I'm a little flushed, obvious. I'm, honestly. It's just, um, I've got so much gushing to do in this oh. episode. <laughs> Are you are you going to be prepared for all? The yeah, questions? look, I'll just make a, I'll just make a cup of coffee and I'll just sit here and you you can gush. Oh, that's lovely. I, I that sounds like a great job. Actually, I could do that all day. Um, but why don't you introduce who you are and what you write or what you do? Um, okay, so my name is Mia Vinci. I write historical romances. Uh, I've had one published so far in October 2018, and I've got a few more on the way. Um, if you can't understand what I'm saying. Don't adjust your volume, that's just my Australian accent. You will get used to it, and uh, I promise there are no major plot points in the first five minutes. <laughs> do you do that when, you, when you're watching stuff, TV, from other countries with other Englishes and not quite understand what they're saying? So actually, it's interesting, yes. Um, at the beginning of this year, Netflix in the United States, I'm not sure about other places around the world, but they seem to release a whole bunch of Australian reality shows. Oh, I am sorry. <laughs> and my children and I decided to start watching them. So we were watching uh, Instant Hotel, uh, which was some kind of competition show about Airbnbs, and, and it was riveting television. <laughs> and because it's the best, it's like a, it's a competition show and it's a house show. And is it like is it like a renovation? I don't know. It is like a renovation show as well. Like you have to turn it um, into a hotel. No, no, they already have it. They already are renting out their homes, and then they they're competing against other people who are also and they're judging each other. So there's very judgy Australians, <laughs> and um, it's the best. I'm hiding under the table here, by the way. And you can't then, see me, but I am. No. I mean, come on. I am from, you know, uh, yeah, we, we don't have anything to talk about here. But and then the other one was Yummy Mummies. Oh, dear God. You heard of this one? I have not. I learned to avoid Australian reality TV okay, shows okay. a long so time one, ago. <laughs> so this one was about, um, they were, I don't really know who they were. Maybe they're celebrities in Australia. I don't, that's the beauty of watching it from another show. You have no idea. And I'm Googling like, how far is it from Adelaide to Melbourne? Because these people are acting like it's a long way away, but I don't know if that's like an inside joke or if it's really a long way away. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's, they're these pregnant wives and they're all really rich and they're trying to be better than each other so um my daughter and i have like an inside joke now about um they kept saying something on the show like well i don't know how you do things in adelaide (laughs) and that's my accent so yes (laughs) all right i'm gonna use that (laughs) 
And, and, you know, again, I'm watching this and I have no idea if Adelaide is code for something. Because if you're watching something here and they go, well, I don't know if that's how you do things in Boston, we would kind of get that. You know, we would get maybe what they were implying. But I have no idea what Adelaide is like, why you would be snotty to someone who is from Adelaide. Um, so, yeah. So the Australian accent, I would watch and we eventually got used to it. We could turn off the... Um, the subtitles you were using <laughs> subtitles <laughs> well there's also these jokes go by your head and you're like well, i don't again it's like just a little bit of a vocabulary difference to think is that something bad that they just said was that a naughty word that they <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fluent in australian in no time i know but the bet i'm not as i don't have as hard time with australian as i do with um a lot of english accents i think are worse i don't yeah. know how y'all feel about that there i find scottish can be quite difficult so like the beginning of rob roy i'm like i hope there's nothing important going on here because it's <laughs> going to take me a few minutes to adjust to what they're saying my husband and i finally put the subtitles on for peaky blinders <laughs> <laughs> because and we got so much more out of it <laughs> But anyway, I love the accent. I, I now feel like I'm an expert because of all these wonderful shows that you have exported to my country. Oh, we are and so proud. We are so proud. You deserve and, it. Yes, <laughs> it's did. our revenge. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and um, But unfortunately, your book, A Wicked Kind of Husband, has no Australian accent in it that I could tell. No, actually, I kind of, it, it's a bit of a secret, but I do kind of write in polite Australian. So the swearing, like the bloody, that's actually how my parents used to swear. So, okay. Uh, I don't know how they swore back in the Regency, really, <laughs> but that's how, that's how my parents swore. So I just, you do polite Australian in an English accent. I, I, I come up with Regency Australian, Regency English. How about that? That is very interesting. I never thought about how other parts would view Regency English. Um, well, tell us about your book, A Wicked Kind of Husband, before I get into it. <laughs> okay, so it's set in uh, England in the Regency, which is the 1810s, for those who aren't quite sure when it is. Uh, it is a marriage of convenience story, and at the time the story opens, our hero and heroine, Joshua and Cassandra DeWitt, have been married for two years, but in that time they haven't seen each other at all. They uh, they actually met on their wedding day, it was arranged by her father, and they married for legal reasons and they agreed that they would never have anything to do with each other and would live their lives as if they are not at all married. So he lives in the city of Birmingham where he's a businessman and she lives in the countryside with her mother and two sisters and they never communicate directly but then she needs to go to London to help her sister make her debut and he shows up there too and uh, and Gradually, their, their lives kind of get entangled with each other as they take on each other's problems and start to get closer and closer. And we also sort of start to get a sense of what happened in their lives that led them to be married in the first place. And it is brilliant, Mia, if I can use that word. It is so good. I want to tell you about how I found the book. Um, a friend of mine, I guess she read it, and she said, have you read this book? And I went, looked it up on Amazon, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this author before, but oh my goodness, she has, you know, at that time it was over 100 reviews, and I immediately got suspicious. And... <laughs> <laughs> An unheard of author with positive reviews, I know. <laughs> no, it wasn't that it was positive. It was so many and in such a short amount of time. And honestly, and so I, I've read it and I also became entranced with the book. It's so 
so damn good. I'm just going to say this. And it did, it's so beautiful and complex and the emotions and, oh, I could just go on and on. And I, I, I texted my friend back and I said, this is not a debut author. This is another author who's starting fresh with a whole new pen name. I know it. (laughs) So I have to ask you officially, are you someone else famous and now starting as Mia Vinci. I'm trying to think what name I could use. Yes, I'm secretly, you know, choose one of the greatest novelists of all time. Yes. Yes. I'm secretly Jane Austen, you know, reincarnated as a, as a, you know, Australian 200 years later. I would believe it. I would believe it. Uh, okay. That's a bit much. I'm not, I'm not going to claim to be Austen. Uh, no, I am not anyone famous. I am exactly as unknown as I, as I appear to be. I, um, it is definitely, I don't know how to answer that, but no, I'm not one of my famous. I wish I was. <laughs> no, I don't. I want you to take this in the best way possible because I just, I, I thought it's just, it's so good. And not that debut books can't be good. I mean, obviously they can, but I just, I just, I loved it so much. And you mentioned um, not only the romance is really believable um, and affecting. And at the end I cried like a kid and I've only done that you know what? I've only done that twice recently, and they were both by Australian authors. So I don't know what y'all are doing to me out there. But we're just really mean. <laughs> so mean! It'll just rip my heart out. I don't know how um, you do things in Texas, but in Australia, <laughs> we're really mean. <laughs> no, we're really friendly here. We we do everything with a smile and and uh, bless your heart. Um, the the family. You mentioned something about like you met, that they both are discovering things about their family and putting the pieces of their lives together kind of and I love that also about the book is that you were really how do I put it there were people in each of their pasts that are not nice to them and they're in their families and they are not the you know wonderful dad and the supportive grandma and stuff but you take them on the journey too and some of them grow and change with the couple and it was just it was an arc for everyone almost um so that was i really enjoyed that and that you can have family and you can have a difficult family and you can love them and you can be supportive but they might not ever live up to your expectations and so i that was a kind of a neat uh twist that i was was a good part of the happy ever after i thought that these two people made their own family and um despite not having perfect families themselves. Thank you. It's, it's just so, it's so humbling to hear people say positive things. I mean, I don't know how you feel when, when, when people, you know, praise your book. It's, it's really, I never know how to take it, just to say, yeah. Thank I you. always kind of feel like, no, I say thank you, of course. I also kind of feel like you, have you read it? Did you really? <laughs> Well, that's the other thing, because you're actually, you know, you're the one who made the sausage. You kind of know. <laughs> I know. But what about that bit where that, oh, no, but that, that bit there is really bad, like, and you, and you can't say it. But it's, it's amazing. I think one of the most enlightening things that has happened since I published the book was understanding how everyone reads a book differently. I mean, I kind of knew that intellectually beforehand, but then you see so many different responses to a single piece of work, and you're like, Wow everyone is reading a different book it's true yeah I mean and everyone takes their favorite bits out of it as well you're absolutely right and the humor in this the humor was just crackling I um took a picture of one of the things that made me 
laugh out loud and I put that on Instagram and it wasn't even a tenth of what made me laugh. Um, the bits between um, um, the hero and his staff were very <laughs> telling and sharp and um, sharply written. It's so enjoyable. Um, but anyway, I was, I was, I've been gushing about this book. We've been recommending it. I've been recommending it to other authors. And, um, and then the news came out a few weeks ago that you were nominated for two Rita Awards from the Romance Writers of America. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, I guess. <laughs> Why? No, it's a huge honor. It is. It is. It's just obviously it's a little bit fraught this year as it's, you know, uh, the meaning yes. of the Rita has changed a little bit over the years as I think we've become aware of it. So, yes. To be nominated for Best Debut, I mean, is always an honor no matter what, because that's, that's, you only get one shot at that. So well, that, that was kind of what I was thinking. That. That's what I was thinking when I was entering. I was like, I wasn't going to enter. And I was like, well, it's only time. The only time I ever get my, my debut. And I think, you know, for me personally, you mentioned whether or not it was my debut. You know, it's been 20 years since I first submitted uh, a manuscript to a publisher. And... You know, I was at university then and I was like so sure that they're going to love it because it's just the best thing ever. And, you know, I typed it up and I put it in an envelope and I sent it off to the Mills and Boone office in London. And, you know, three months they sent it back. Three months later they sent it back. And, you know, it's for 20 years that, you know, I've, you know, life has happened because life tends to do that. And, you know, writing and bits on the side and, and working. And then to actually finally, oh my God, I'm going to cry, actually finally to get a book out there to go, I've actually achieved something that I've been trying to achieve for 20 years. That feels pretty special. Yeah, it should. It definitely should. Um, so tell us about the call. How did they get a hold of you? Uh, it, I was. It was actually a surprise. So they called. It was late at night, the night before uh, everyone else would have got it, like because of the, the time <laughs> difference. So right. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't even know they had my phone number. I probably gave it to them and completely forgot. So you know, I'm getting this call at I don't even know what time it was ten o'clock at night, and uh, you know, it was it was Damon Swade who is. <gasps> Um, you know, the last time I got a phone call with a man with an American accent, it was a recorded message telling me that there was a warrant out for my arrest. There's <laughs> <laughs> like these series of scam calls going, going through in Australia, and it's, it's something to do with some fraud investigation with the tax office. And you're like, well, why is the Australian tax office using an American? So I'm kind of like, hang on, why is an American man calling me? Is there another warrant out for my arrest? <laughs> And I think I think I, I did get a little bit emotional, so I think I kind of attacked him. I think I accused poor Damon Swade of um, deliberately trying to make me cry. Oh, because <laughs> I think he says something like, "It gives me great joy to tell you." I'm like, "Does it give you joy to make me cry?" So, uh, if Damon is listening, I'm I'm sorry for that. <laughs> it's it's very difficult to think. You kind of like you're not expecting. I wasn't expecting the call at all. So, and then did I wasn't. Did you tell that... him about the history that you'd been accused of of? evading taxation or something before? Uh, no, I was actually, I was, I was actually struggling to stay coherent. So oh my uh, it was all, it was all, um, it was oh, all yeah, a little bit strange. Oh yeah, he needs to hear that part of the story, I think. <laughs> so, so, so now he knows why I was like, why is an American man calling me? So, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was all right. And of course it was late in the night and he's like, but anyway, you just go to sleep now. And I'm like, you think I'm going to sleep? So, so anyway, I did actually go to sleep and then, you know, woke up very late the next morning and, uh, saw that all the other people had been announced and uh yeah so it was a, it was all very strange yeah i can i bet um i love the stories about the calls though because it always is somebody um you know saying you know in a 
in a business meeting or something. It's always the most inopportune time that they call people here. And of course, 10 o'clock at night is very inopportune for you. But um, I imagine it must have been pretty inopportune for him because he had to get up early in the morning. But, <laughs> but I, I learned something about myself, which is that apparently I am not cool when I get uh, a call telling me I've been nominated for an award. You know, you think you're going to be cool. You're not. You're right. You're right. I mean, I don't. I've, it's never happened for me to me. But I, I usually am a down player in my normal life. You know, even when I get publishing contracts or whatnot, I'm, I'm happy. I'm pleased. I do a little celebration, but I just kind of, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And so I, I, it's really hard for me to imagine a scenario where I would just lose it. But I'm sure it's out there one day. <laughs> I hope it is. I hope you get that call and you're not nearly as cool as you think you are. <laughs> I hope so. So you said you've been writing for 20 years. So what finally made you decide to stick your toe back into fiction? Well, I suppose I had been I had been writing bits and pieces along the side, you know, those little gaps that you find. I I did a lot of freelance writing, freelance journalism, freelance copy editing and sort of general communications writing and ended up in a full-time position, a management position that nearly killed me. And I was just so miserable and I was, you know, my life imploded and I was 40 years old and I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's now or never. So I, I, you know, I looked at the numbers. I thought I can take a year. I can give myself a year off in which case, you know, during which I will work on this. I will really commit to it. And at the end of a year, I am sure I will have a manuscript that I can then sell. So two years later, <laughs> I finally had a manuscript. And I thought, I think this might just be publishable. So that was it. It was, it was sort of a now or never kind of moment. Um, and was that a wicked kind of husband? That was a wicked kind of husband. Okay. I mean, I think over those two years, I wrote and discarded maybe half a dozen manuscripts. I haven't recounted because it might upset me. But that was the one that I thought, oh, I've actually got one that will work, I think. Those ones that you put away, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because you're just, you don't know whether you're putting them away because, you know, you just don't believe in yourself or, you know, oh, it's probably something good and I'm just being too hard on myself. Or if, no, it's really trash. It's <laughs> I find that I really have to go on instinct and, mm. you know, would I read this book if it was published? And, you know, I'm a very, very picky reader. So I was like, well, actually, no. I wouldn't. And I, I found there were some which I'd been working on for months and it just couldn't get it to work. And then I sort of made that executive decision of, I think I have to cut this. I think I have to throw this out. And the gut, the instincts goes, yeah, throw this one out. But like, there's another one I'm working on. I'm going, I think I need to throw this out. And the gut's like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Keep going. So I just have to, I just have to go with the, the gut feel that, you know, this will or won't work. But I think you know, at the time, it's really upsetting because you've got, you know, I put so much expectations into a manuscript, like this is going to be the one, and then you finish it and you go, no, the, the, it's broken at the concept level. That was really that was really the ones I had to throw away. The whole concept or the premise was flawed and the characters were boring and it just was unsalvageable. But I think with each one, I learned a whole lot more. And so, you know, all you can do is keep on, keep on learning. And I, and I look ahead at, at other writers who have published lots of books like you've published what five or something something like that right so experienced novelists and I hear people saying you know it doesn't get any easier you never really learn how to write a book and I'm like yay so much to look forward to <laughs> <laughs> I hear people saying that each book is different and 
and and people who are more experienced way more experienced than me 20 30 books it's just like every time the process is different and that does not give me any comfort (laughs) no you think i'm trying to reconcile myself with that because you know i write very character driven novels so of course each novel's got different characters and so of course it's going to be very different you're going to have different dynamics you're going to have different you know ways of speaking and have different behavior and so of course the way they behave is going to be different so the plot's going to be different so you know i guess there's nothing we can do about it as long as we write different characters each time right do you do do you do research for your books no i make it all up (laughs) yes i do research I don't then, know. <laughs> I do research. I do. I do a lot of research. I love the research. The research is great. That's how. That's where the ideas come from. You know, the more you know, the more ideas you can have. And uh, I, yeah, I am a big historical romance reader. I love the genre, but I haven't. I haven't done any research. So if you guys tell me that there were purple elephants in Hyde Park, I would go, "Wow, that's so fascinating." I just didn't know that. <laughs> I trust you people. Well, apparently there were kangaroos hanging out um, outside the Tower of London. See, I don't know whether to believe you now or not. I was quite surprised when I was quite surprised when I um, when I learned that. Uh, but yes, I've, I've read that in a book, so it must be true in a, in a nonfiction book. <laughs> right. Look, my my approach to I think I think the point I need to remember always is that I'm writing romance first, and mm. the historical setting comes later. I'm not writing historical fiction, and I'm not writing history. And the romance is the most important part. And for me, a romance is an emotional experience. So anything that doesn't lend to that, you know, I'll throw it out. You know, I do a lot. I write very long and I then take out a lot of the facts that I put in there. Sort of the facts are in there to prove that I've I've done my research and I go, oh, it's boring. I'll take it all out again. So, you know, I do as much research as I feel I need to do for the story to come together. I don't then go and check if those facts are correct because... You know this. You know that's what historians are for, mm-hmm. and you know. And to be honest, if I'm researching and I don't like the facts, then I'll keep researching until I find alternative facts that I like better. Because that's the thing about history: there's no one right fact. What I one of the things I enjoyed about your book was that the hero lives in. You already mentioned he lives in Birmingham. And not Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, England. And um, he is in, he's an entrepreneur? I mean, what would you call him? He's in trade or? or? I'd call him an industrialist. You industrialist. Know, this is a time That's in better, Birmingham. Yeah. I mean, if you've read Peaky Blinders, you know, if you watch Peaky Blinders, you know, Birmingham was the, you know, industrial center. That was where the, um, a lot of the metal factories were made. A lot of the guns were made for the war and all the buttons and pretty much anything made out of metal was made in, in Birmingham at that time. And his staff, he has um, some gentlemen who work for him who I, I believe were of other cultures other than Anglo-Saxon. And um, and that to me just felt so refreshing. And also, well, of course there, there were. This was a big industrial town. They had merchants. They had ports. You know, there were people coming and going from all over the world. They had kangaroos, for goodness sake. <laughs> of course they had people from India and Africa and all these things. So I just wanted to thank you for putting those little facts in there so that we will remember that England was quite cosmopolitan, um, especially the cities. I don't know about those the countryside but the city well, is definitely absolutely right. I mean this is this is one of the things that I was just saying about history there's never sort of one right answer with history because history is written by historians and historians are people and people 
ask questions about people like themselves. So as the, you know, the academic world has opened up to, to new views of history, you know, post-colonial history and feminist history and then history from people, you know, written by people from different races and cultures, we're getting a whole different insight into the way life was. And you know, the, the facts are there. And if we're building a world, well, you know, let's include everything that the world was. I mean, for example, so yeah, so the, the secretary, Mr. Das, who is Bengali, uh, he fits into the story because Joshua has a brother in India and uh, Mr. Das had to leave India for his own personal reasons. And so he got a job. And so that's how he happened to wind up there. But, you know, it's, it's easy enough to find um, other Indian entrepreneurs who were, you know, in England at the time. There was one guy who opened the first Indian restaurant in London in 1810. So, and, and then he went on to have um, a really successful Indian massage and, uh, you know, steam baths place in, in London, I think in Brighton. I could be wrong there. So, you know, it's not like we're, we're making this up. You know, this is the way the world was. And, you know, it's, it's part of the fun of, of building the immersive world for the historical romance to put all the, all the different possibilities that are, that are there. Right. Because why would you limit yourself. You, you can tell such a better story if you use all those paints in the paint box, correct? Well, it's just, it's, it's just makes, you know, life yeah. is more interesting, the different ways that you look at it. And it, they, it adds everything to it. So yes, I enjoyed all that. Um, do you mainly read historical romance or do you have other genres that you are a fan of? Uh, I've been reading a lot more fantasy lately. It's uh, it's been eye-opening and really exciting. I think when I was when I was young and in my formative book reading years, I think when I picked up fantasy then it was all very you know maybe it was just the ones I was picking up, but it was all very blokey and kind of mm -hmm. slow, and everyone was really serious, and they all had strange names, and they stood around having very important conversations about very important things, and I was like, ah, oh, fantasy, not for me, and. Uh, I think it was, you know, in the meantime, you know, I wasn't paying attention, you know, I got a Kindle and that just opened up this whole world of books that I'd never had access to before because, you know, I grew up in rural Australia and look, Australia is great, but you don't go to Australia for the bookshops. And <laughs> if, you want, if you want a cricketer biography, you know, sports people biographies and cookbooks, there's lots of books like that. You know, this is just in the bookshop in the town when I was growing up. But that was kind of, that was kind of it. And then I was living overseas for a long time and, and access to English language books was really limited. So then when I get the Kindle opened up and that's when I just like discovered romance and went completely nuts. And then recently I discovered that while I was paying attention and reading everything in the romance world as published over the past 20 years, there was this huge burgeoning in fantasy. And, you know, a lot of female-driven, a lot of female, you know, written by women, you know, all this global stuff, all these different ideas from all around the world. And it's just like, wow. So I'm really, I'm really sort of discovering this whole, whole, new, um, whole, new, whole new genre, which has been there for ages. And I used to discover, obviously, there in the colonial sense. And it's, it's just... It's just wonderful. So I'm trying to finding my way through that. I'm feeling like a bit of an idiot for not discovering it sooner, but uh, but I'm having a, having a lot of fun at the moment. You know, hits and misses, unfortunately, as it always is, because you have to navigate the way through the fraught world of recommendations. But mm -hmm. I'm enjoying a lot. Well, I would love to hear some of those recommendations at some point. You can do them now or any time because fantasy is one of those things where I would really like to explore more. And I always, I have pick the brains of guests and things about it but um yeah it's still to my mind is I, I think I have a similar experience to you that I had picked up way too many books about 
boys and their dragons um, <laughs> when I was younger and that, you know, I, I'm very careful about what I pick up now. <laughs> so. I think so too, yeah. And, I, you know, because a lot of uh, fantasy traditionally was also faux medieval Europe, so here I am researching historical romances and especially, you know, women's situations and, you know, the, the difficulty women have, you know, being trapped and having to not, not being able to earn their own living and so having to get married and all the and all the um, all the situations that come around with, you know, being seen as a as a body and a possession of a man that, are, that were very real 200 years ago and then picking up a fantasy and seeing women with exactly the same problems. And you're like, that's not that's not what I'm looking for here. I'm looking for something very different. I'm looking for you to surprise me, you know, show me something new. So, look, some of the ones that I've loved are, are some of the bigger names. So I don't know if they, they need a recommendation from me, but like N.K. Jemison was, when I, was where I started with the fifth season. Have you read it? No, no, no. Yeah. I've heard her recommended a lot, though. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, like that trilogy, I think she won the Hugo three years in a row. Just, it's, it, like for me, okay, so for me, a, a good, book it either like sets my brain like a light you know like I can feel like all the different parts of my brain light up or else it just really stirs up my emotions or it does both and her you know I saw a picture of the aurora borealis and I was like that's what it looks like inside my brain when I'm reading one of her novels it's just it's just this whole different way of looking at the world and experiencing the world and a whole different way of telling stories as well that that I just loved so um, so the Broken Earth trilogy, I wouldn't say it's an easy read. It's not a light and easy read, like sit back and have a chuckle, but it's, it's really compelling and fascinating. And her narrative strategy from a writer point of view is just, it's just brilliant. Uh, and then, so then I went back and read her Inheritance trilogy, which is also brilliant. Uh, I also enjoyed, uh, recently I picked up at the library, uh, Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, which was, uh, also very enjoyable. And from a, um, from a narrative point of view, from a, from a writer point of view, and really admiring the way that she's, she tells it all in first person without saying who's talking, but I always know, like, within a sentence who's talking, so that was brilliant. Mm. I haven't read that one yet. I read her first one. I think. Uprooted, is that? Uprooted, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was I think to I like Tangled, this but that wasn't right. <laughs> <laughs> close enough, close enough. Maybe we should do a Rapunzel one soon. It, uh, there were some Rapunzel-esque things in Uprooted. I don't, did you read it? Oh, yeah, I've read it. Oh, yeah, okay. That's Just the tower and the oh, yeah. being taken away or something. I, I got a very... Um, yeah, but um, but I did. That was really remarkably done. It was one of those ones that I just kept turning the page, going, I'm not really sure what is about to happen. Which is unusual when you read romance a whole lot. You you really get to know those beats, right? You get to know what should be happening on each page, and then when you switch over to something like that, you're like, um, yeah, I'm not sure how long they're going to be in this forest. <laughs> They could be here for a very long time. <laughs> it, it does. It does get a little bit surprising because another one I really enjoyed was uh, Lainey Taylor's duology, Strange the Dreamer and Muse of Nightmares. And there is a cliffhanger at the end of Strange the Dreamer that was an absolute shock. I did not see it coming. And as a romance reader, you're going, no, that can't, that can't, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> So, but otherwise the, the world building in that was just beautiful. And I think I also began to appreciate that these, you know, books like Strange the Dreamer and Muse of Nightmares, where this, it's a whole world that's completely, I mean, if it's mythology that she's drawn from somewhere else, it's not something I recognize. 
And it's also just nice, it's like the world's different and the women aren't living under the threat of sexual assault the whole time. It's just kind of nice to read a book about like that that's still compelling. It's so refreshing. It is, it is. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever read a book that you just absolutely loved and you're like, wow, everyone in the world has to read this book? Yes. And then it turns out that this book was written like years ago and it won all these <laughs> awards and was a bestseller. And in fact, everyone else in the world has read the book and it's only you that hasn't. I'm sure that I'm sure that could happen to me if it hasn't. Yes. And like, why didn't anyone in my life sort of grab me and say, you need to read this book? Or maybe they did and I missed it. Um, <laughs> so this is one of the books that really got me into fantasy. Uh, it was Lois McMaster Bujold, who I think everyone's heard of. Have you heard of? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So it's the, uh, the Curse of Shalion and then The Pladen of Souls. And uh, those two books, I just, I just love them, especially the second one. And, you know, in that one, the heroine is 40 and she's going off to, to try and start her life again and live her life a little bit differently. So maybe it just resonated with me, my, <laughs> own, my own life stage. But, I mean, they're not, they're not quick, light reads. They're very sort of intense and dense, but, you know, very close, um, very close third-person uh, point of view from the characters set in a, I think, a kind of a version of oldie-worldie Spain. Uh, I'm not completely sure. And the, the first one is the hero uh, used to be someone, but he was sold into slavery and he's just come out and he's a broken man and he just wants a, a job sitting by the fire peeling potatoes or something, but instead he gets a job as a tutor to the future queen and, and her, um, I don't know the relationship, she's a friend or a cousin or something, and he gets brought back into the whole politics of the world and he ends up saving them from this curse. And then the second one, Pladen of Souls, this queen who was under the curse, she now is trying to live her life again. And everyone's like, because she was insane for a while, everyone's like really coddling her and she's trying to get away. So she, she hates the gods, but she decides she's going to go on a pilgrimage just as a way to get away. And, uh, and she, stuff happens. And it's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. You know, I think at least one of them won a Hugo Award. That's what I mean. <laughs> They've been around. They're classics. Everyone's heard of them. I'd never heard of them. I just love them. So if you are looking for a way into fantasy and you like something really intense and emotional, you know, I highly recommend them. I can see that happening, though, when someone goes into a new genre. Because you really, you're, you're a babe, right? You have no knowledge of what that world is like. I think someone coming into romance, too, would be the same way. You know, oh, who's this Nora Roberts everyone's talking about? <laughs> I know, really. We're just like, oh, Nora? Have you not heard of Nora? I know, exactly. So, I can yeah. I can read all of these books. And like, yes, thank you. We've been there. Um, do you think that fantasy, do you, do you feel it impacting your work in historical romance or does it inspire you in some way? I think in the sense that uh, from a purely craft point of view, it's it's helping me be aware of the world we're living. Because like you mm. said, I think when we become really familiar with a genre, especially now the more research I do, I forget how much I didn't know when I started. Like when I started, the order of the ranking of the aristocrats, I didn't really know what order they came in. And all these kinds of little things that I didn't know that I've had to learn, I probably forgot how much I had to learn along the way. And so I'm probably more aware now from, from reading fantasy and, and having to learn more about a world about the world building and you have to make clear the technology, you have to make clear the social structures, you have to make clear you know, the different ranking and, and how people fit in together for the story to make sense, but also you're trying to do it without boring people. So I think I've, I've become a lot more aware of those kind of details and how I need to put them in. 
That's interesting. Would you ever write a fantasy romance? Blend them all together? I would think about it. <laughs> you have to make the world from scratch, at least. <laughs> Yeah. With historical romance, it's already it's already there. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to fool myself that the that the Regency or the oldie worldy England that we put into our historical romances is a true representation of what life was like then. I think it's you right. know it's our shared fantasy of it, but it's still kind of already there, and you and you can build on it. And the more research you do, you can look at different angles and take it from different perspectives and all the rest of it. But um, I have to start from scratch. On the other hand, starting from scratch, you could just you can do whatever you like and that would be really liberating in that way because I think the setting you use the setting to tell the theme of the story so you could then I will say I made up a whole new country for with my last book and it was really fun it was, was just was really fun? it was just like oh I you know you you were writing and you're like oh I don't know what to do here I'm like I can make it up <laughs> But did you have to do a lot of research to do that, to get a sense of how other countries, you know, to get a real, all the things we take for granted or just, you know? I did a little bit, but mostly it was just, you know, if you are, a, I mean, for me, I've just been absorbing geography and political science and history and things for so long that I think I was just like, oh, I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of Dutch. I'll take a little bit of German. I'll take a little bit of French and just kind of smush it all together and my other key which I told my friend about was that if in doubt I would refer to the Holy Roman Empire because no one really knows what the Holy Holy Roman Empire is anymore. but it sounds like you do know it. oh I know so much about the Holy Roman Empire all my readers out there believe me but then I would just say oh yeah it's the Holy Roman Empire and then people nod <laughs> I love that making your own country you can never be wrong Oh, yeah. I can I never be wrong. That. I mean, at least, you know, when we're writing in, like, the, the, the Regency world, because there's so many different facts, we, you can actually be wrong, but you can never, ever be wrong. That's brilliant. <laughs> just just throwing that out there, Mia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> you can't tell me what's right or wrong because I made it up and I make the rules. And they say, yes. yeah, but it was different in your last book. You go, yeah, well, it changed. It changed. Revolution happened. <laughs> Keep up. <laughs> Um, okay, I have to ask you. You might not like this question, though. Um, when is your next book coming out? <laughs> I don't like that question. No. I'm sorry. No, I think, you know, all those, when I talk about 20 years, I think I only ever imagined, like, you just got to write a book and get it out there. And then yeah. you write a book and get it out there, and it's... It's like getting People like Monday. me expect a second book. It's like getting through Monday at work. You know, I never had a problem with Mondays, but like <laughs> you wake up on Tuesday morning, you're like, what? You expect me to do that again? <laughs> so this is my Tuesday book, which is fitting because I've never liked Tuesdays. Um, I think I, I just, I miscalculated. At the time I published A Wicked Kind of Husband, I had two drafts of other books. I thought it won't take me long, a couple of months, I'll just edit them, they'll be fine. Reader, they're not fine. So uh, <laughs> I'm still working on them. I think they're a lot more complex, a lot more difficult than I appreciated. And uh, I'm hoping mm, in the next few months I should have one or two out, more okay. out. Well, I so. hope the Rita Awards aren't a curse, like you feel like you can't get them out or something because of... <laughs> It, it does put a little bit of pressure on. I have to. I have to admit. I mean, I was just saying because in my mind, I would. I would. I would see it that way. Like, oh, now you want me to have a best second book. 
<laughs> I know. And then I go, but they've, they've talked about the second book, Slump. So if it's, you know, if it's really bad, everyone, you'll understand. You can all just nod wisely and say, ah, yes, second books, they're hard. I think. And, well, can you at least tell us if there will be some of the characters that were, I mean, it seems like it. The first book kind of seems to set that up, but okay, maybe so you've I'm, thrown those away already. <laughs> well, this, this is also a very difficult, awkward moment for me. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So technically, Wicked Kind of Husband is the third in the series. Yes. But at the time, I, all my other manuscripts didn't work, and I was just so frustrated. And I thought, I'm nobody. I'm going to publish this. There's a million books on Amazon. No one's going to notice. <laughs> the book's going to sink without a trace. I can just practice publishing. I can go, yay, I'm a published novelist, and I'll boost my confidence, and I'll move on with my life. And I'll get the other books out quickly, and no one will ever know. <laughs> I kind of miscalculated. <laughs> so, um, so people did find the novel, obviously, and uh, uh, the book because the you're Nora are, Roberts. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm secretly Nora Roberts. You know, even Nora <laughs> Roberts decided to write historical romance. She spent a lot of time practicing an Australian accent. <laughs> she she's been Australian this whole time. She was just practicing she, an American accent. <laughs> My God, busted! Yes. <laughs> so um, I forgot what the oh yeah. So anyway, that was that was the the why I put the third book out first, and now I'm sort of scrambling to to get my other books out. So if you've if you've read the third book, there's a the best friend Cassandra's best friend is called Arabella, and she's Lady Hartbury. So she's she's actually my secretly my favorite character. She's a wonderful and, character. She oh, might be secretly my favorite character too. Oh okay, God. Now I've got pressure on her book too. <laughs> So the first book, the one that's giving me a lot of trouble, is my second book, is that, if that makes sense. Uh, it's called The Beastly Kind of Earl, and as you might guess from the title, it's uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, play on, plays with the Beauty and the Beast trope. So Arabella is the best friend in that book too, and, uh, but at that stage she's not married. So then the second book, called The Dangerous Kind of Lady, is Arabella's book, and at the end of which she ends up married, spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, and in, in her book, her best friends are Cassandra and another character called Juno. And so then it's, it's actually really complicated. I've got this whole, it's all very sprawling. There are a lot of different characters. And so then the characters in A Wicked Kind of Husband, the secondary characters like the sisters, Lucy mm-hmm. especially, she will have a book later. A lot of people are interested in Lucy because I think she's a... She's a mess. She's a mess. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of... There's a lot of um, strong feelings directed toward her that I hadn't quite anticipated. <laughs> there is a reason she's a mess. There is a reason in her, in her mind why she behaves the way she does. And the, the seed, the clue is buried in a wicked kind of husband. It's probably buried quite deeply. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, so she will get her story later I think well. I would have stronger feelings, stronger negative feelings about her if you didn't handle all the other messy personalities as well you know the grandmother the father you know there's a lot of other people that were kind of messy and you handled them all with such grace and sensitivity that um I thought okay Lucy also is going to be handled well (laughs) there's a reason why she does what she does that's nice to know but you know we're all I don't know about all the people in your life but pretty much everyone I know we're all a mess and we all have a reason for being a mess and it's more what we do to try to manage that I guess and navigate the world and so I I do have a lot of sympathy for I think all my characters even the ones I don't like I do have I do have a straightforward couple of villains coming up and I don't care what happens to them they get what they deserve Mm. yay 
Well, I could obviously talk to you about your books forever, but um, I think it's time for our lightning round. Are you ready for this? I am so ready. Okay. Um, excuse me. <laughs> I have to prepare myself. All right. Uh, do you prefer dark or milk chocolate? Milk. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. When your phone rings, do you answer it? What is this thing you call a phone? <laughs> Only when strange American men are calling, darling. <laughs> Only when strange American men, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't answer the phone. Some strange American man's going to call you. We feel the same way here. Um, <laughs> how do you usually waste time on the internet? There is no such thing as wasted time on the internet. Beautiful. Serendipity is my muse. I love it. On your next vacation, will it be to the mountains or the beach? Ah, uh, the mountains. Do you call it soda or pop in Australia? Or something else entirely? Soft drink. Soft drink. Interesting. You know, I wasn't even aware for most of my life that those were, those are the same thing, right? Yes. Yeah, no, I wasn't even aware they were the same thing. So. And there's more words than that in America, but those are probably the two most common. But there are more. No, yeah, we just call it soft drink. Okay. We spend a lot of, I spend a lot of my life confused reading English and American books and not really knowing what a lot of things are. Interesting. You need an American-Australian dictionary. <laughs> do they have those? I don't know if they do, actually. But this would little... be a gag gift, but we, I'm serious. <laughs> well, it's, it's like things, I'm never quite sure of the difference between a condo and an apartment. And an apartment. Oh, one is rented and one is owned, generally. So you, Oh, okay. There we a go. condo, I mean, generally, that's a rough way I would think of. A condo, you would own an apartment you're leasing. But physically, they're the same thing. They can be, yeah. I mean, sometimes more a condo might have um, more amenities because you're owning it. Like, it might have a garage or something. Guess what? I've now got an American-Australian uh, dictionary. It's called Lindsay Emery. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and every time I have a question about American culture, I'll just call you up and say... What's this thing about no white after Labor Day? Like, what is that about? Ah, it's off. Yeah, don't break that <laughs> rule, Mia. Um, yeah, well, actually, one of my good friends here, our daughters are friends too. They were living in Australia when their daughter was born. So when I was watching all these Australian TV shows, I, I was going, so tell me, what's, what's this? What's, I, I asked them a few questions too. <laughs> they told me some horrific stories about living there, your wildlife and your roads or death traps. What's wrong with anyway. our roads? Our roads are lovely. They were Apart from all the about, wildlife. <laughs> yeah. They were talking about in the middle of the night, like there's just things and animals and I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, those, can those kangaroos, they, they, they're very dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. All right. We're, we're getting off track. Uh, Sorry. It's okay. On a romance novel cover, do you prefer abs, forearms, or a chiseled jaw? Forearms. Mm -hmm. And very important, last question. What are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first? <laughs> Look, everyone can do what they want. Mm -hmm. I would say it depends on why you're turning to the last page. So it would never occur to me to read the last bit because I just don't understand the point of that. However, if I'm reading a print book now, you will likely see me turn to the last page to find out how many pages there are so I can calculate the percentage. Is that funny? Because these print books, they don't calculate the percentage for you, right? Right. Oh, they I don't, the they, same. They don't tell you the time. They're, I don't know. what. What's the point of them, really? And, and you can't just turn them into a different book by pressing, you know, 
by pressing a button. I am the same way. Do you calculate I, the percentage now? I do. I had a well, I had a library book recently and I thought, okay, this is getting a little slow, but let me see what where I'm at. And so I went to the last, I was like, okay, this is three hundred pages, I'm at page seventy five, so I'm gonna give it to page one hundred. I'll be thirty three percent of the way through then. Yeah, something exciting should happen about then and then I can go to bed and yeah, and it, you're so right. I'm so addicted to that Kindle now going, okay, oh, oh, I'm 58% through. Okay, well, that's, yeah. It, it does. I think it's just really changed our experience of reading, different way of understanding the book. So. And I'm okay with it, just because I can get a book in seconds flat. Yeah, yeah. And also, print books are really heavy. Yeah, they don't fit in your pocket either. <laughs> I know, I was reading Spinning Silver. That's really big. I was lying in bed reading Spinning Silver and my arms are getting tired. I'm like, wow, <laughs> my reading muscles have atrophied. <laughs> Weak. You need some reading aerobics. <laughs> I know, I need to get like all these, these copies of big fantasy novels and start doing bicep curls. So I can... Just think, isn't that lovely? I mean, how many big, thick fantasy novels can you get in one small device? Oh, I know. I know. It's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. Where can people find you, Mia, if they want to learn more and follow your publishing okay. antics? I, <laughs> my antics. Uh, I, you can, I have a website called miavinci.com where I will usually put information up, mm, whether it's actually happening, how, how out of date that information is, I can't <laughs> promise you. Uh, I am on most social media sites. I'm not very active on social media, but if you want to get in touch with me, you can... Uh, I do, I do check my notifications even if I'm not uh, actually actively going onto the site. So that's Mia Vinci on Twitter and Mia Vinci Books maybe on Facebook and Mia Vinci Writes on Instagram maybe. So She is in tomorrow, you guys, so give, be patient with her if you are in America and you contact her. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's another point. I am <laughs> I'm in a different time zone. I tend not to look at... Any of, um, any of my social media or emails or anything until the end of my working day. So uh, it, could be, it could be a while. All so. right. Well, thank you so much for being on Women With Books. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. And uh, I do really, really love your book. And congratulations are definitely in order. And I know I can't wait till the next one. Well, thank you so much. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear those things said. Thank you for joining me today. If you love this conversation, please leave a review or consider supporting the podcast at the link in the show notes. For a list of books discussed in this episode and other fabulous content, sign up for my newsletter at womenwithbooks.com. And remember, keep reading. Keep reading.